One, two, four. Engage. Which of these do you trust the most? The civilian asked, gesturing to Tani and his companions, as he looked at Lord Rain. What? Lord Rain asked. It doesn't matter, Tallheart. Any of them. Hmm, Tallheart said. Tani froze as he felt the smith's pale eye settle on him. You, come here. Without hesitation, Tani took a step forward. Torhart picked up the metal object from the table next to him and held it out. It was a metal spike, like a nail, but fully the length of a man's leg. It was made of dark iron, flaked with rust. Anything that the tip touches will be destroyed, Torhart said, as he held it out to him sideways with one arm. Do not make me regret making this. Carefully, Tani accepted the implement with both hands, struggling with the weight as he cradled it to his chest. Torhart only released it when he was sure that he had a firm grip. This is the limit of iron, Torhart said, speaking over Tani's head as if he didn't exist. The point holds enough power to deal, hmm, perhaps 5,000 damage. A touch should be all that is needed. Holy f- Lord Rain said, cutting himself off. Tani's heart, too, skipped a beat at the number spoken by the smith. He stared at the rusted iron spike, held in his hands with a new wariness. There were no runes, nothing to indicate it was anything other than a bit of old iron. Nevertheless, he thought he could feel the raw power of the enchantment trembling within the metal begging to be released. It suddenly seemed even heavier than it had a moment ago, his arms shaking from the weight. Hmm, the smith rumbled. It will only last for one strike. The metal is already degrading. He looked at Tani, his face like a granite wall. You should make haste. I will not be able to construct another. He looked away. I lack the required materials. Yeah, wow, okay, Lord Rain said. Tarny, go. No, wait, someone help him. Carry it between you. You'll never make it the whole way with something that heavy. And be careful. No shit, Captain, Molo said. He carefully moved beside Tarny, and the two of them maneuvered the spike until they were carrying it between them like the deadliest battering ram in existence. Tani tried to keep the distaste for the man, who'd supposedly been a servant, from showing on his face. Go on, we'll follow, Corrin said. Tani nodded, and he and Molo began carefully guiding the spike to the lair. They paused while the others helped them bundle up their faces, then passed through. The walk to the core room was cold and nerve-wracking, Tani feared nothing more than that he'd trip on something, buried beneath the snow and land atop that wicked spike. At least they reached the core, and the blue light of the gem trapped in the ice washed over them as they entered the room. Hold on, Frederick said, stepping forward, mining pick in hand. The ice grew back like Ryan said it would. Let me clear it. We've only got one shot. Be quick about it, 
Club said. Here, let me help. We don't know how much longer the enchantment will last. Tawny waited, arms aching as the pair smashed away the protective pillar of ice. Frederick had made a living of brawling in taverns, if he recalled correctly, and Clubs had been a farmer. Tawny found himself wondering how their strength compared to his as he watched them work. He was no slouch. He'd been on Vanna's crew, after all. But the spike was heavy. Tallheart, however, had treated it as if it weighed no more than a slender twig. Tawny tightened his grip, refusing to let the strain show on his face. My path lies in another direction, but perhaps one day. Finally, Clubs and Frederick stepped away, revealing the core hanging free in the air. Ready? Molo asked, looking at Tarni. The uncouth man was smiling, though his arms seemed to be trembling. Tarni nodded, smiling back. Whatever he thought about Molo as a person, he couldn't deny the camaraderie that he felt in this situation. It was finally time for them to awaken. For me to awaken. I'll show you, Lord Rain. I'll show you what I can do. I am honoured to follow in your footsteps. Carefully, the two of them guided the tip of the weapon toward the naked heart of the lair before them. By unspoken agreement, they both stopped with the point a mere finger's breadth from the core. Tarni glanced back at the others, cowering near the door, then at Molo. On three? he asked. Fucking on three, eh? Molo said, grinning from ear to ear. As one, they counted, then stabbed forward. Any doubt Tarni had concerning whether they'd been too slow evaporated as a colossal explosion rocked the chamber. He and Molo were hurled back, their padded winter gear saving them from injury as they hit the ground. Spots of light flickered in Tarni's vision as he rolled himself over, his ears ringing. He looked up to see the aftermath, then blinked. The remains of the pillar were gone, but the core was still there. There was a hole in the far wall as if someone had decided to smash a window through the stones with a sledgehammer. The hell's happened! Frederick's voice rose over the ringing as he entered Tarni's field of vision. It didn't work, someone else shouted. It might have been Largo. Tarni was having trouble distinguishing their voices. Hey, are you okay? God's luck at the bar, someone said. Tarni looked, seeing the iron spike lying on the floor amid the flattened shards of the pillar of ice. Before his eyes, the metal flaked away into powder, then vanished into smoke. Slowly, the ringing in his ears began to fade. Fucking hot dog shit for breakfast? Molo spluttered. The man had gotten to his feet, looking unsteady. Tarni could forgive him for that one. He accepted a hand from clubs, allowing the stocky farmer to pull him to his feet, then shook out his cloak. Powdered ice from the pillar was dusted all across the room, with a larger shard here or there. He could have warned us about the explosion, Tellen said from where he was inspecting the hole in the wall. If one of us had been standing in the wrong spot, maybe he didn't know, Largo said, peering at the core. Maybe it was, like, a reaction or something. He wrapped the gem with his knuckles. 
there's not a scratch on this thing. Just how tough is it? It isn't a matter of how tough it is, Corin said, shaking his head. Like I said before, I think you need to be awakened. He turned his head to Roos. Sorry, Roos. You were wrong. If that didn't do it, nothing will. Roos shrugged. Not like I would have known. An enchanted weapon wouldn't work. Not like you could have neither. True, Corin said with a sigh. What now? Clubs asked. We return to the camp, Tarni said firmly, resolve hardening in his heart. He'll know what to do. He walked toward the portal, hiding a grimace of pain with every other step. It appeared he hadn't landed quite as well as he'd thought. The group followed him out, finding Lord Rain waiting for them, along with Tallheart and Amelia. The powerful presence of Rain's soul washed over Tarni, comforting in its weight. Captain, Tarni said, resisting the urge to bow. The weapon worked, but the core was not destroyed. Hmm, Tallheart rumbled. What do you mean, worked? We touched the tip to the core after clearing the ice, Tawny said, looking at him. There was an explosion that destroyed the pillar and blasted a hole in the far wall. Molo and I were sent flying by the force. Are you okay? Rain asked, glancing from Tawny to Molo and back. We are, Tawny lied, glancing at Amelia. I could ask her. No, I will not show weakness in front of Lord Rain for mere bruises. Damn, Rain said with a sigh. Well, it was worth a shot. He looked from Tallheart to Amelia, then rubbed at his eyes. From a pouch, he drew a bag, then dumped the contents onto his open palm. Eight small stones, seven black and one white, each carved with the symbol of the worker. Ranks pieces. I'm going to put these back in the bag, Rain said. Eight of you will draw stones, one at a time. The white stone loses. He shook his head, tipping the stone into the bag and giving it a shake. Sorry, we need an awakened to take their place. Understood, Captain, Tawny said. A fair system. Regrettable, but fair. Should I ask him if I... Nope, he does not play favorites. Here, Rain said, offering Tawny the bag. Let everyone draw before you look. Wordlessly, Tawny reached in and drew a stone, holding it in his closed hand. Fate will not fail me. One by one they drew, until all eight of them stood with their fists held out in front of them. Go ahead, Rain said. Tawny looked down at his hand as he flipped it over and opened his fingers. He felt his heart stop as he stared at the white stone resting on his palm. Rain led the group through the darkness in silence, lost in his own thoughts. He kept putting himself in Tani's shoes, thinking about how he might have felt in his place. To come so close to awakening, only to have his chance taken away by a twist of fate. In the grand scheme of things, Tarnim was merely back in the same boat as the others that had lost the drawings, but Rain knew that would be scarce comfort. 
Losing something always hurt more than never having it in the first place. It was a simple fact of human psychology. To his credit, Tarney hadn't argued against the decision, hadn't raged, hadn't demanded best two out of three. He'd simply stared at the white stone in silence. Eventually, Amelia had taken him back to the camp at Rain's request, leaving him to manage the others. He was confident that she would know what to do. He was sure that he didn't. Rain looked up, realizing that he'd crossed into the light. He didn't speak as he led the others inside the stone building, not wanting to break the reverent atmosphere. As he inspected the room, he noted that this pillar of ice had started to reform, growing from both floor and ceiling. It had yet to encapsulate the core, but it was getting there. The hole that Tallheart's weapon had blasted in the far wall was still there, unchanged. Rain assumed. There was no indication that the lair was attempting to repair the damage to the stone. Rain shook his head, walking up to the core. He glanced at the others who were watching him with anticipation in their eyes. They looked excited, eager. That made him feel slightly better. Seven out of eight was still something. He held back a sigh. Assuming it works, Rain looked at the core. He'd long since prepped everyone on what to expect, telling them of soul space, accolades, interfaces and more, though with the disclaimer that not all lairs were the same. Adventurers use the term accolade to refer to any reward for breaking a core. But it wasn't always something you could keep, like his perception boost. There was always a plate, as he understood it, but sometimes it was nothing more than a glorified coupon. As an example, Amelia said she'd once received a thousand tell from Allaire. The plate it had given her had dissolved into a mountain of tiny crystals in her hand. Inconvenient, that. A single grand tell would have had the same value and been much more manageable. In any event, Rain didn't know if such a single-use accolade would have the same awakening effect as one of the more permanent variety. He also didn't know if he'd be able to break the core in the first place, or if his damaged soul would get in the way. In fact, he was actually hoping that Lelaire might do something to help him. That was why he'd taken it upon himself to lead the group, rather than sending someone else. Breaking a higher-level core wouldn't raise the cap of someone who was already awakened. That he knew. The only questions were if he was strong enough to break the core and if his soul was intact enough to manage it. Rain clenched and unclenched his hands, then removed his right gauntlet with a twist. Here we go. The impatient whispers that had started behind him abruptly cut off. Rain wrapped his fingers around the glowing blue gem, finding it slightly too large to grasp completely. It was cool to the touch. Rain waited there, holding the gem gently as he strained with all of his senses. This is your last chance, Kor. If you're alive, send me a sign. There was no response. Not so much as a flicker in the steady blue glow. Linksight was as silent as the air in the chamber. Rain tightened his resolve. So be it. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. He squeezed. The core shattered. It broke easily, as if it had been made from hollow glass. 
rather than digging into his flesh, the shard simply evaporated into blue light, which quickly vanished. Rain barely noticed this before he found himself abruptly in the void. There had been no fanfare, just a sudden, instantaneous transition. Though he'd been expecting it, Rain's eyes widened. He looked down to see his avatar wearing the same outfit he'd crafted upon his previous excursion to this bizarre not-reality. A simple long-sleeved shirt and jeans, though the texture was lacking. As before, his body in this place appeared to be a translucent blue projection, a hologram. Also, as before, the damage to his soul quickly made itself apparent. With no warning, a glitch snapped his head back up, wrenching his perspective and leaving him staring straight ahead at the darkness. It swirled like smoke beyond his zone of influence, the absence of light given physical form. Rain waited for a few breathless moments, grappling with his growing unease. He'd already considered the possibility that his damaged soul might prevent the accolade from appearing, leaving him banished in the Shadow Realm. He discounted this as a needless worry, reasoning that it had only happened before because the Magistral Artifact had been holding him. There is nothing to do that this time, unless the lair... Just as Rain began to panic in earnest, there was a blue flash in the darkness. The light rushed toward him, ignoring the incongruent geometry of soul space to hover right in front of his eyes as it condensed into an object. It was a plate, still spun from light like his avatar, though a deeper blue. Rain sagged with relief. He reached for the plate, then hesitated, looking around at the emptiness. I could wait, stay a while and run some experiments. After a moment, he snorted. This isn't the time to screw around. Reaching out slowly to avoid any glitches, he plucked the plate from the emptiness. As he did, the glow faded, white letters forming as the light transformed itself into deep blue metal. Accolade of the Acid Frost Barrows grants the ability to use ice bolt. With a sickening jerk, Rain was abruptly back in his body. The twisted sense of vertigo that accompanied the transition left him reeling. It and the initial delay in the plate's appearance were good indicators that his soul damage had caused an issue after all. It worked, shouted Fredek. Yeah, someone else shouted. Uh, Captain, Tellen said, pointing toward the door to the void with the torch he was holding. Coming back to himself, Rain blinked, then looked, his eyes widening as he saw whiteness. Snow. No, a blizzard. The lack of wind belied the torrent of flakes falling from the sky. Move, people! Rain shouted, his thoughts dropping back into gear. Out through the arch! He didn't need to tell them twice. Everyone had heard the story of what had happened with the spirit caller. As they scrambled for the exit, the wind began at last. Snow whipped through the door, blasting them with cold and threatening to blow out their torches. Rain was the last through. He forced himself to maintain a brisk walk, rather than resorting to a mad dash as the others had done, worried what would happen if he slipped. The staging area appeared before Rain's eyes. Tallheart was still there. He was currently helping Molo to his feet, 
as the others stared past Rain toward the barrier. Rain walked forward casually, not interrupting his stride, though his heart was beating furiously in his chest. He had his image to consider. Passing the others, he pivoted smoothly to see the barrier behind him quivering. As he watched, the swirling wind destabilized, growing even more turbulent. Suddenly, the entire thing popped like an enormous soap bubble, exploding into a shower of snow. As the air slowly cleared, the ruins of Esed were revealed. The real village was considerably smaller than the fake version they'd found within the lair. Judging from what little of it Rain could see, it seemed there had been a fire, and many buildings had collapsed in on themselves. Hmm, Tallheart rumbled. The village remains, he paused. Perhaps the villagers as well? Rain nodded, then used detection. After waiting for the return, he shook his head. No, he pinged a few more times. There are bodies, but nothing alive, human or otherwise. Not within range, anyway. Hmm, Tallheart said somberly, turning and walking back toward their camp. Where are you going? Don't you want to know if it worked? Rain asked as he passed. Tallheart paused, then glanced over his shoulder. It is obvious that it did, he said. Oh, Rain said, watching the others stare into space, interacting with things he couldn't see. Yeah, I suppose it did. Hmm, Tallheart said, turning away once more. Hey, Tallheart? Rain said. Yes. Tallheart asked, stopping and tilting his head, but not looking back. If you're going back to camp, tell Vanna to get people ready to search the village. We'll collect the bodies, then have a memorial for them or something. I will do so, Tallheart said, nodding. He took a few more steps, then jumped, landing atop the earthen wall surrounding the staging area, making the incredible three-meter leap look effortless. Rain snorted as Tallheart dropped down the other side and out of sight. I suppose if I could jump like that, I wouldn't bother with stairs either. Wait, I have velocity. I actually can jump like that, can't I? Is that an accolade? Corin asked, startling Rain as he moved next to his elbow. Rain looked back down at the plate that he only now realized he was still holding. He looked at Corin, then nodded. Yeah. He bit his lip behind his helmet, reading the words once more. He'd been interrupted by the collapse of the lair before he could even process just how rare this kind of accolade was supposed to be. I mean, it's only a tier zero skill, but still. Wasn't there supposed to be? Corin waved his hands. Some sort of soul space or something? I didn't see anything like that. Just a window in my face. He swiped at the air a few times. Huh, that's funny. That's using the numbers you taught us, not the ones I've known my whole life. It says I'm level zero. Rain blinked, coming back to himself. He stared at Corin, then at the others. Did any of you see the void? He asked. Or get something like this? He held up the plate. Confused looks and various signs of negation greeted him. Huh, Rain said, staring back at the metal rectangle in his hands. 
Maybe it's either or? Clubs asked. No, Rain replied. When this happened before, the person we awakened got an accolade. The same as everyone else. Could be this was a different kind of lair, like you said, mused Talon. Maybe, Rain replied, unsure. What was different? He looked up at the others. Different level. Different number of unawakened. Different number of people in general, actually. We had seven then, not eight. Could there be some finite amount of essence or whatever? What takes more? An awakening or creating an accolade? Damn it, I need more data. He shook his head. Does anyone's interface tell them what their cap is? Oh, how can I tell? Asked Molo. Look for any numbers that aren't your stats or your vitals, Rain said. Maybe a nine, like Lair was. It won't be higher than that. Without bothering to consider whether it would work, he dismissed the accolade, which vanished without complaint into his soul. Only after he'd done it did he realize how effortless it had been. Did I get healed? Am I? Fixed? He concentrated on the other accolades beneath his breastplate. Nothing happened. Mm, maybe not. Damn. I don't have any numbers, said Molo. Rain blinked as his mind ground to a halt. Wait, what? Really? Molo nodded. Rain shook his head in disbelief. I mean, I've heard of that, but how? What does it say about your stats? Fucking pathetic, Molo said with a grin, gesturing as if he was holding something, though there was nothing in his hand. For all of them, it's jars with labels on them saying the stat and telling me how shit I am in it. And I've got this like... Other jar full of bloody magic juice or something. He held up his empty hand, shaking it in the air as if he was indeed holding a jar and sloshing the contents about. I think if I pour it in one of the others, that's how I boost my stats. Makes more sense than your damn windows or whatever it was. Rain blinked, then deadpanned. Ah, yes, jars. Of course. That makes so much sense. Clearly better. Oh, fuck you, Molo said, laughing. Rain snorted and shook his head. Anyone else? After some discussion, it didn't seem that anyone had an interface that listed their level cap. Though the format varied, everyone seemed to get more or less the same information Rain had gotten when he'd first awakened. Stats, vitals, available skills, and so forth. Only Molo had an interface devoid of numbers. Corin's was the closest to Rain's, using Arabic numbers, but not the metric system. Rain hoped that that would change for everyone as he continued their re-education. Eventually, Rain decided that they'd be better off just heading back to the camp. Theorizing about the system at a meta level was a rabbit hole that he could easily get lost in. And it was better done over food anyway there'd be plenty of time for him to interrogate the new awakened in the coming days. Right now, he had something he needed to do. After leaving the others with Vanna, Rain walked through the camp. He greeted people politely as he passed, but he didn't stop to engage in conversation. Upon reaching the centre, he pinged with detection, then frowned, spinning to the left and striding off. He pinged again, 
then increased his pace heading for the wall. Tarney was on his own out there, against his standing orders. From the top of the wall, Rain spotted him sitting under the shadow of a tree a short distance away. Rain quickly dropped down and crossed the snowy ground, scanning for any threat. It was day and the monsters were unlikely to attack with so many people nearby, but it never hurt to be too cautious. There had been incidents after all. Tarni turned as Rain approached, and Rain saw that his eyes were red and puffy. Ah, Rain thought as the man struggled to his feet. It's even worse than I thought it would be. He automatically controlled his expression before he remembered that he was still wearing his helmet, never having removed it after leaving the lair. Captain? Tarni choked. He sniffed, rubbing at his nose with the sleeve of his gambeson. Tarni? Rain said, pretending he didn't notice the man's state out of respect for his dignity. I recall saying nobody was to leave the camp on their own. He raised his hand, stopping Tarni as it looked like he was struggling to find a response. I understand why you might have wanted to be alone, but it's still reckless. You could have asked Amelia to make you a private chamber or... Rain sighed, stopping and shaking his head. You know what? Forget it. It's fine. You were close enough to the walls and I wanted to talk to you alone anyway. Tarney looked down and away. Rain frowned, considering his words carefully. Tarney, he finally said, bringing the man's attention back to him. Just so you know, the core break worked. The others are now awakened, but we don't know what their caps are yet. Tarney looked up, hurt confusion on his face. Rain winced, then hurriedly continued. There was a complication. We don't know why, but none of them received an accolade. Only me. He held up his hand. The dark blue plate dropping into it easily. This one. Tawny sniffed again. Rain grimaced. Damn it, this isn't going well. Better just plow on. Watch, he said. Raising his other arm, pointing at a nearby rock. Ice bolt. With a blast of blue interference, a twisted shard of ice formed. It launched itself from Rain's hand at an angle, then slewed to the side as it flew before crashing lengthwise into a tree with a crystalline impact. Not bad. Never mind that the tree wasn't what I was aiming for. He looked back at Tarni, who was staring numbly at the damaged section of bark, where the bolt had shattered. Ice bolt, tier zero, Rain said as he lowered his arm. The accolade lets me use it which is exceedingly rare as I understand it. I'm not sure exactly how much this plate is worth, but a few thousand tell wouldn't be a bad estimate. As long as someone has it in their possession, they can cast the spell freely, even rank it up in theory. He held the plate out. Here. Tawny's eyes widened, but he didn't attempt to take it, even taking a step back. My lord, I... He struggled his mouth making uncertain shapes as he tried to decide what to say. For once, Rain decided to let the title slide. Go on. I want to see what will happen. Hesitantly, Tarni stepped forward, extending a hand. He paused, looking at Rain, only taking the accolade after another nod of encouragement. At once, Tarni stumbled back. At the same time, Rain felt a twinge from Linksight as the plate unbound itself from him, presumably binding to Tarni instead. Rain smiled. What do you see? He asked, watching Tarni's eyes as they moved.
clearly reading text. I, I see the skill, Tony gasped. It says provisional interface. What does it mean? Interesting, Rain said. I wasn't expecting that. I suppose it means the system is letting you interact with some small part of it, even though you aren't awakened. Can you see anything else? A status window or some stats or something like that? No, Tawny said after a moment. But I feel something. Is this mana? Can I... He looked at Rain as if asking for permission. Go ahead, Rain said, gesturing toward the tree. Give it a try. How? Tawny asked, sounding overwhelmed. Rain tilted his head, considering. For me, I used to just focus on the name of the spell. And this little icon would come up on my interface. Then I would sort of will it to work. Now it's become automatic. I barely even have to think about it anymore. Reverently, clutching the plate to his chest, with one hand, Tawny turned to face the tree. He raised his other arm, a look of concentration on his face. He gasped as a shard of ice formed. Rain noted that it looked much sharper than his own deformed version had. Tawny stumbled slightly as the bolt shot away from him, spearing into the tree dead on, penetrating deep into the wood and staying there. Nice shot, Rain said. Nailed it first try. Lord Rain, Tawny gasped, turning, hints of tears once more in the corners of his eyes. He shook his head. Captain, I, I, I can't. He took a deep breath, then seemed to force himself to smile. Looking like a starving man pushing away his dinner, Tarni pried the plate away from his chest and held it back out to Rain. Rain snorted. No, keep it. Really? Tarni asked, his tear-filled eyes widening as he stared down at the plate. Rain smiled, then reached up and unscrewed his helmet so Tarni could see his expression. I should have done that to begin with. Yes, really. Ice Bolt is of little use to me. As you saw, my armor throws off the magic. Therefore, I'm donating the accolade to the company, and I've decided that you'll be its first bearer. You can use it as much as you'd like until you don't need it anymore. I hope that you'll then pass it on to someone else. I'm... I mean... Tony spluttered, clutching the plate to his chest again. Thank you. I... This is what ascension is, Tarny, Rain said, shifting his helmet so he was holding it under his arm. I'm not going to hoard power or wealth when someone else needs it more. Not when sharing benefits us all. He turned away, heading back toward the wall. Come on, let's get you back to camp. Rain smiled to himself as he heard Tarny following. Days later, it was snowing lightly as dawn broke over Ascension. The camp was quiet, with only the sentries standing guard atop the wall, moving in the stillness. Fires burned there, as well as within the camp in the various divided sleeping areas, where people slumbered soundly. It would be a while yet before the awakened would rise. Rain smiled as he lay in the sculpted depression Amelia had made for him, amused, considering just how appropriate that title was. All of the freshly awakened company members would be getting their daily alarms in a few hours. The entire culture of this world seemed to operate on that schedule. 
everyone rising well after the sun had risen, awakened and unawakened both. Carefully, Rain got to his feet, tiptoeing to avoid disturbing Amelia, who was slumbering nearby. The sleeping chamber they were in were somewhat cramped, the two of them sharing it with Tallheart, Jameis, and Melanie, plus Cloud and Dozer, of course. Dozer's enforced sleeping arrangement had become a routine in the past few days, and amazingly, Amelia hadn't even complained. Instead, she'd even laughed about it, deciding to indulge Dozer, citing the fact that nobody wanted to see a pouty slime. Said slime shifted as Rain moved away, reacting to his departure. He could feel Dozer's discontent through the link that connected them. Focusing, Rain gently nudged the slime back to sleep with thoughts of comfort and warmth. Creeping past the others, Rain moved out into the central area of the camp. There was a line of sleds there, mostly packed and ready to go, dusted by a coating of snow that hadn't been melted away from the heat of the fires. The sleds were stuffed to bursting with supplies, scavenged from frozen root cellars and pantries. Essid hadn't been affected by the toxic chemical transformation that had gripped Felsidanus. Fortunately for them. Had they not been leaving today, Rain would have used the time before the camp woke for his morning exercise routine. His soul hadn't been healed by the core as he'd hoped. His condition unchanged. He still had to deal with the stiffness, heartburn, headaches and everything else. His morning training helped loosen him up, but it was tiring, and they'd been marching in a few hours anyway. He could deal with it until then. Rain walked to one of the sleds, pulling free a huge wooden bowl and a small crock of honey. Then he'd walked to the next sled over and retrieved a few more things. Chief among them, a sack of coarse ground flour. He brought everything over to one of the earthen ovens that Amelia had sculpted into the wall, setting down the supply so he could start a fire. As the flames grew, Rain proceeded to busy himself with the making of bread. By the time the rest of the camp had risen, he had a neat line of five sad-looking loaves that hadn't. Their supply of starter needed a few more days, it seemed. It didn't matter, though. People still thanked Rain for the crackers with enthusiasm compensating with liberal quantities of butter and good-natured mockery. The company took their time getting ready, eating richly of the supplies they wouldn't be able to bring with them and luxuriating in the relative comforts of the camp that they'd built over the past few days. Travel discipline would start tomorrow, Rain decided. This waking up at eight thing simply wouldn't do if they were going to make it to Vestval in any reasonable time frame. As he tried to hurry them along, he considered whether he should ask Tallheart to make him a bugle. Around ten, Amelia lowered one of the walls, creating a passage for the sleds to exit, while Vanna worked to get everyone into formation and out and onto the road. Rain lingered atop the remaining fortifications. He stood facing a line of graves in the field beyond their camp, already covered by snow. He held his head low in silent respect for those that hadn't made it through the shift. When everyone was finally ready, Vanna called to him, and he descended from the wall and spoke with her briefly before moving to the head of the column. Tallheart was there, sitting in the rebuilt forge wagon and chatting with Amelia and Carten. The smelter in the back simmered with heat, holding a substantial quantity of molten metal that the smith had yet cast into ingots. 
Dozer was somewhere in the middle of the column, playing with Cloud if Rain had to guess from the impression he was getting through the ling. Are we ready? Amelia asked. Rain nodded. Yes. He climbed into the forge wagon standing atop it and signalling to Vanna, who had taken her position at the first sled. She nodded to him, then turned. Ascension! She yelled. Prepare to move out! Rain smiled. She's getting good at that. He sat down in the passenger seat, then placed his feet and began to pedal, helping Tallheart bring the flywheel up to speed. Amelia walked around the forge wagon to stand next to him, and Car 10 took a defensive position on the other side. Similar groupings were already in place, all down the line, the new awakened spread throughout. Rain glanced at Amelia, smiling, then nodded to Tallheart and faced the road ahead. He raised a hand, fingers loose, then gestured forward, speaking in his best Patrick Stewart. Engage! Mmm, Tallheart rumbled, pulling the levers and bringing the forge wagon into lurching motion. The tracks barely even clattered. The muffler, Tallheart had added, already showing its worth. Who was that voice supposed to be? Rain scratched at his chin, considering. Well, we do have the time, he said. Hmm, where do I even begin? Amelia chuckled. Uh-oh, Carden, now you've done it. <laughs>